I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagamatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for. I am the word. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. Pretty sure that's the first time there's ever been applause for a bumper. That's awesome. That's great. We're off to a good start tonight. Uh, I'm really excited to be back with y'all. Uh, like I said, it's been a while. It's not been a while. I mean, it's been two weeks since I've been here, but it's been a while since I've got to teach. Uh, we've had a Q&A here. We've had a night of worship. Y'all had Kevin Queen hang out with you last week. How was that? Yes. It's always a home run when it's him. Uh, but I'm really glad to be back and to kick off this new series, this idea of seeking God. Now, when we talk about seeking God, really what we're going to be har- harping in on is this idea of pursuing him of figuring out what it looks like to live in relationship with him, to build communion with him, an intimate connection with your heavenly father. And the reason why we want to go about this is because it's been the primary element of my faith for the last 13 years. The one thing that's been a constant through every single season is this pursuit of God, this seeking of God. And it's highly important for you. And so at the end of tonight, my prayer is that you will start seeking God And if you're already seeking him, you'll do it even harder because this is something paramount for your faith. And it happens in every season. See, you don't just seek God whenever things are going well. You seek God all the time. You seek God through trials and triumphs. You seek God in college and in career, when you're single, when you're married, Uh, whenever you get a lot of rest and you can sleep in till like noon. How many of you is that right here? Yes, you wish. Yeah. Said no college kid. Listen, my senior year, I never had a class before 11 o'clock. Like, I don't know that I, I don't know that I went to bed before 3 a.m. either. Is there anybody else in the room? Okay, you know what that's called? Lazy. Um, But it was wonderful, and I loved it. It was great. And then now I've transitioned into a new season of life where I still got to figure out how to seek God, where I don't get any sleep. It's called being a parent. Um, And it's called being a parent of a newborn. Actually, that's not true. My newborn sleeps really well. My other two, they're a terror at night. Like, I was up six times last night with my three- and two-year-old. Come on. But, hey, it's real life, and you still got to see God through the middle of it. So, I have now three kids. Uh, Bowen, the oldest. Charlotte just turned two. And then my newborn. I thought I'd show you a picture. I think you already saw one. This is Gwen. Yep. 
And my beautiful wife, she's not in her belly anymore. No, she's not. Uh, that's not postpartum. She's not that. Nope, that's not now. Um, but this is Gwen. She's uh, incredibly healthy and beautiful. And I have a superhero wife uh, who delivered her. And thank God I'm a man. That's all I got to say. Uh, but this is the third time I have been faced with this reality of life, of birth, of being a father, of being a parent. And the one thing that I pray over all my children, a lot of you have heard this before, is Luke 2.52, that my kids would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and with men, just like Jesus did. That they would pursue him in the same vein, in the same manner. It's the same thing that I pray over all of you. And so uh, I get to, uh, I've been like, like I'm kind of sporadic on Instagram, right? I like to double tap the Insta G's. I don't always necessarily post to them, but I have been blowing it up lately. That's what you got to do whenever you get a newborn. Like just, there it is. This is my season of life and I win. And one of them I posted lately was uh, Gwen sleeping on my chest. That's like my favorite thing about being a dad is getting to just sit there and then they sleep on you, right? Because like I don't have any responsibility. It's great. And then all of a sudden you hear just rockets come out of their butt because they poop all the time. I'm telling you, that's what it sounds like. But before that happened, this one night, I posted, my wife posted this picture of me and Gwen. Uh, she was actually awake a little before the picture and was in my arms, and it was the night before I had to come back to work. Uh, I got to take a little over a week off and kind of take care of my family and my kids and just enjoy that season and learn what it's like to be a family of five. And, and before that picture was taken, I was holding Gwen in my arm. I was sitting on the sofa holding her, and I started to talk to her like, like she can actually understand right? Because she's 10 days old. She can't even comprehend my face. You know what I mean? I'm just a blur. It's not just, it's better for her actually that way. But Gwen's in my arm and I'm talking to her and I'm holding her. And it was just this special, this sweet moment where I sat there and I started to, to say just things to her. Right? She's my daughter. This is my, this is my third child. And I was telling her, you know, daddy's gotten to hang out with you for a long time lately. Uh, you've never experienced a day where I haven't been here. So I was saying, Gwen, tomorrow, uh, Daddy's got to go to work. I got to go to work. I'm not going to be around as much. But what I want you to know is that I'm never going to leave you. I promise I will always love you. I will always hold you. Even when it embarrasses you, I'm still going to want to hold you when you're older. I'll never leave. I'll always be here. I promise you, Gwen, my daughter. I made that promise to her. Now, she has no idea what I said to her, right? Like, I'll probably have to give that promise again in her life for her to understand it. But you sitting here watching me trying to picture me holding this giant baby because she's a large one. Um, but hold like it's a workout just having a kid. So you can imagine sitting there watching me do this, saying that promise to my daughter. And probably know enough about me where you would understand I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to love my daughter. I'm going to pursue my daughter. I'm going to raise her. I'm always going to be there. I'm never going to leave my daughter. That's a promise I made to her, and I'm going to keep that promise. But in the same way that you can understand that I would keep that promise to her, and then as she grows up in life, she'll be able to learn and understand that, yeah, Daddy is going to do that, and she'll learn to trust me in that promise. But here's what I, here's what I started to think afterwards. If she can learn to trust, and you would actually trust the promise I made to her, me, this sinful, awful father of hers, if she can trust me with that, then how much more can we trust God with his promises to us? And see, I think that the reality of understanding seeking God unlocks whenever you start to understand his promises to us. 
Because whenever you understand his promises and you trust him, then everything comes into full picture. Then you're not just seeing shadows. Now all of a sudden you see with clarity the reality of who God is and what he wants for your life and why you should and why you can pursue him. And so we're going to see what one of those promises is in the book of James. Similar to the, the, the promise I gave to Gwen, it's a promise that, that God is actually going to give to us through James. So we're going to open up to James chapter 4. There's a Bible under your chair if you want to follow along. I'm actually going to read from mine. It's the extra special version, but you can follow along in yours too. James chapter 4 is in the New Testament. It's near the end of the New Testament after the book of Hebrews for all you biblical scholars. And we're going to open up to chapter 4. Now, let me give some context while you turn. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Like, that sucks, because you're never going to do better than that. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have siblings? How many of you want to do better than your sibling? Yeah, uh, not James, okay, because it was Jesus. But James loved his brother. He loved his brother so much he gave his life for his brother. He followed him. He became an apostle, someone who would follow him and actually write one of the books of the Bible. And so James has his heart fully and captured and fully given to Jesus and following Jesus and seeking Jesus. And the book of James is actually a message to the Jews in that time that actually started to give their life to Christ as well, that would turn around and become Christians. And what James is telling them, imploring to them, is how to live, how to seek God. And so in chapter 4, we're going to see a promise of God given through James. We'll open up chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that... It is, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God yearns jealously for your spirit, but he gives more grace, verse 6. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Or in your version, I think it says come to God. And he will come to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so James actually has a promise in here. I don't know if you caught it, but it's found in verse 8. And James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Through James, God is saying, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And what I need you to understand is this is not a command from James to the people. This is not a recommendation like, hey, you can go draw near and he'll come right back. This is a promise from God. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And the reason we know it's a promise is because of the context of the chapter. Everything of chapter 4 just talked about in those first 10 verses, the way that you live and what you pursue, the passions that you are pursuing. So what is it that you are pursuing? And why can we live in the context of this promise? Are you pursuing that guy? Are you pursuing that girl first? Are you pursuing that job, that career? 
Are you pursuing the idea of that guy or that girl? Are you pursuing that crew, that money, that accolade, that grade? What is it that you are pursuing? Because if it is found inside of your passions, like we see at the beginning of James, then what you're going to find is that you're actually becoming friends with the world and an enemy of God. And James doesn't want that for you. He wants you to seek God. And so he shows you how to seek God and how to find this promise in verse 7. In verse 7, where it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the way that you do that is by trusting in God's promise in verse 8. So the way you resist him is you draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And see, whenever you choose other pursuits instead of God, and when I say other pursuits, what I mean is, whenever you put something on the totem pole, whenever you put something above God, this is what I need the most in my life. This is what I'm going to give the most attention to. This is what I'm going to give the most attraction to. This is what I give the most affection to. If this is anything but God, it's idolatry and it's a sin. Because you're choosing to worship that thing and what James is saying in your life, don't go and worship and follow and chase those passions, chase God. Don't pursue your passions, pursue Jesus. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And see, I think whenever we live like that, whenever we pursue our passions first and we live that idolatry, this is actually what it looks like. I found this picture. Take a look. You ever seen this? Just take a look at it for a second and take it in. It's a little girl holding a little teddy bear. She's clutching it. It's hers. She's holding it. And Jesus is sitting there talking to her, beckoning her. Like, just trust me. Trust me. And what's he, hi- what's he holding behind his back? A teddy bear about 18 times larger than the one she's holding. A greater gift, a greater blessing, something more. But her response, but I love it, God. But I love this. I love this little itty-bitty teddy bear right here. I want this. This is familiar. This is comfortable. I would do anything for this teddy bear. And God is saying, but hang on. You have no idea what I'm going to give you whenever you give that up to me. See, whenever you pursue your passions, whenever you pursue the things that you think you want most in life and you play the totem pole game and put things above God and live out idolatry, what you're saying is, God, I don't really trust you. I don't really trust that what you got behind your back that you're offering to me, I don't really trust that that's better. I don't. I'd rather have what I've worked for. I'd rather have what I've built. I'd rather have what I've attained, what I've gotten, and what I've earned than what you might offer me. And so maybe the problem with believing and understanding the promise of God in James 4.8 is that you don't trust him. See, the trouble with letting go of of those things, that, that little thing when you hold on to it, is that what you're saying is, I love this more than I love you, God. I love this thing. I love this boy. I love this girl. I love this sin. I love this job. I love this place. I love this comfort. I love, I love this church. I love these things in life more than I love you, God. And so I don't really trust you whenever you offer me something that could be greater. Whenever you ask me to be obedient. Whenever you ask me to hand something over and just trust you. I don't know how to trust you. And I think a lot of us would actually find ourselves in that position. And whenever we pursue those things, first what we're saying is we're going to pursue that far before we pursue Jesus. 
And here's what I want you to understand about the pursuit of how you handle things in life. Dave Harvey says this. Check it on the screen. The depth of love, the depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. The depth of love that you have for something is seen in the intensity of the pursuit in which you go after it. The depth of love is seen in the intensity of, pursu- of the pursuit. So what are you pursuing? What are you going after? What are you seeking? What are you giving your time to? Because see, let's just talk about that teddy bear for a second. Go back to that picture. Let's talk about the teddy bear. How many of you still have a teddy bear? Be honest. Guys, don't raise your hand, though. Don't. Don't. Okay? That was girls. Okay. So I appreciate that. I see that. Okay? So that teddy bear actually represents something much greater than just a little stuffed animal that that girl's holding. So cute. Because you know what that girl actually wants? And the reason why it actually talks completely into our life in this season of where a lot of us are is because that teddy bear represents something. Control. And what we really want is control. We want control of our life. We want control of our relationships. We want control of how other people treat us. We want control of how other people view us. We want control of our future. We want control of our job, of our grades, of our work. We want control. And so the reason why that girl can't hand that teddy bear over is because for her to do that, she would have to say, I give up control. In order for God to take that little teddy bear from her, she would have to open up her hand and let him take it. And so many times we don't want to do that because it causes us to let go of control. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of to let control control go? What's keeping you from doing that? See, actually, when you look a little bit deeper into the reality of this, you see that all of us, this is a true story for all of us, because all of us are designed to seek. I would actually argue this. Every single one of you, if you've ever pursued anything, and guys, you're like, yeah, I pursued that girl that one time. Like, no, listen, yes, you need to pursue her when you date, but I'm talking about the totem pole game, putting above God. Whenever you want something more than him, whatever it is, the thing you're actually seeking isn't that thing. It's a manifestation of something much deeper. And it's not just the teddy bear. It's not even just the control. All of us are actually seeking the exact same thing because we were designed to seek the exact same thing. And it's God. You were designed to seek him, to pursue him, to go and know him. And yet what we do in our brokenness, in our depravity, in our sin, is we go and take the desire for him and manifest it in other places, thinking that they will fulfill us, that those passions will give us what we need. But really, we were created to only find that need filled in God. And so what you got to watch and clap for at the beginning was a little snippet of something that beautifully describes the pursuits that we have. And how at the core, all of us are pursuing the exact same thing. Whether you know it or not, all that we desire is God. It's him that we're seeking. So I want to show it to you because it can say it better than I ever could. To understand the reality of the things that you seek and how they actually tie into God. So the next few moments, y'all take a look.
I am the might before the sword, the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagamatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for. I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here. I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears, drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, till the soil, forsake the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs, you are looking for me. In the body touching body, it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings, it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me, it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger. In the books and the fables, in the this is me labels. In the is this me, is this me, in the hear me. Hear me, say my name in the touch me, find me, need me, find me in the aching pain, in the love, the music, the beats, the taste, in the heat and the need, and the need for embrace, in the colour, the gaze, the meaning, the desire, in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire. When you cry for more, my name you weep. I am he who waits for you to reach. I reach for you and wait. When you lie half broken and awake, I am the watchman of your sleep. I wait and wait till the shakings cease. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. first saw that video over a year ago, and I can't watch it and not get messed up. I can't watch it and not get messed up because the reality that everything I've ever pursued in my life, 
all of it is God stringing this story together of trying to get me to pursue him. And everything that was just described in that is a beautiful picture of the character of God in the first half. And the reality of everything that you're doing in your life is ultimately this desire inside of you, whether you know it or not, to find God. Because we're all designed to seek him. We're all designed to know him, to pursue him, to be in a relationship with him. And when you start to understand the promise of God from James 4.8, when you start to understand that promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you understand that, it unlocks and you start to actually find him when you seek him. And the reason why you do this is because you can trust him. You can trust him just like the little girl with the teddy bear had to learn to trust him to get the greater promise. You can trust that God's going to take care of you. You can trust that he's going to be there. If my daughter Gwen can trust her daddy that I will always promise to be there, how much more than can you trust your heavenly father, who's perfect, that he's going to be there? And here's how you know you can trust him. Because what we just looked at earlier, it's what Dave Harvey said. The depth of love is seen by the intensity of the pursuit. The depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. So Jesus left heaven to pursue you, and he died in the pursuit. That's about as intense as it gets. If the depth of love of what you have for something is seen and the intensity of the pursuit in which you go after it, Jesus left heaven to pursue you, and he died in the pursuit. That's why we remember today. Today is Maundy Thursday. How many of you never heard of Maundy Thursday? Like, I don't even know. Is it, what? Monday? No, not Monday, Thursday. It's like a weird class schedule. Maundy Thursday. See, today marks the remembrance of the entire story of Easter. It starts actually today. We celebrate Good Friday, the day that Jesus was actually crucified, but it actually started today because it was today we remember that Jesus had one last meal with all of his friends, his disciples. And it's today that we remember that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray to God for what was about to happen, took his friends there with him. And then in the garden, one of his disciples would betray him for 30 pieces of silver and give him over to the authorities. Even though he'd never done anything wrong, he was treated like a criminal and he was arrested and then taken before the courts the next day on Friday, Good Friday, the next morning. And then the Sanhedrin and the judges would sit there and judge him and say, you say you're our king and you declare that you're God. There's no way you can do that. And then they conspire with the Romans to go and have him crucified because only the Romans could do that. And so they released this murderer, this traitor, this man named Barabbas. And they'd rather have Barabbas out in the streets with them than have to deal with this loving man who's never done anything named Jesus. And so Jesus was given over to the Romans, and then he was beaten on Friday, and he was tortured, and he was whipped with a cat of nine tails that when they hit his back, it was designed in a way to pull his skin in chunks out of his back, put on a, on a post to do this. And then afterwards, they mocked him. They put a purple robe on him because he said he was royalty. They put a, a sign on this piece of wood that was actually from a tree that said king of the Jews because that's what he declared, that he was the king because he is our king. And they put a crown because a king needs a crown, a crown of thorns on his head and made him carry his own cross all the way up the hill to where he would then be crucified and killed. And that's Good Friday. That's what we remember. He took the pain 
that he didn't deserve that we did and took upon himself. He took the wrath of death that we deserve and took it upon himself. He would never have died, and yet he willingly gave up his life. Nails didn't keep him on the cross. Love for you did. And so if the depth of the love that you have for something is seen in the intensity of the pursuit in which you go after it, Jesus died in the pursuit of you. That's how much he loves you. That's how you can know you can trust him. If I love my daughter, how much more than does God love you? Because you are his sons and his daughters. And so on Saturday, that's actually where we live. In between this, this death and, and in between the next of the resurrection that is to come. Because on Sunday, on Easter, we don't celebrate the fact that Jesus died. We celebrate the fact that he came to life. That he defeated death. And that he on his own decided, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm going to overcome this so that you can overcome this. Because whenever you pursue your passions, whenever you pursue that totem pole thing, you put it above God and you live out of idolatry, what you deserve is hell. What you deserve is an eternity apart from the good and gracious and perfect God. Because he's holy. He's set apart. And your sin makes it so you can't be in his presence. And yet Jesus said, okay, God, every bit of punishment that they deserve, whenever they die and you look at everything that they've done, if they've given their heart to me, if they say, Jesus, I believe in you, then God, whenever you look at them, whenever you sit on your throne and they, and they die on judgment day and you look at them, you're not going to see the things they've done anymore because I'm going to be there and I'm going to say, nope, they're mine. And you're going to see me, your perfect son, who gave up his life to win these people back. See, you can believe the promises of God because you can trust him. And you can trust him because he loves you. And if Dave Harvey is right, if the depth of the love with which you have for something is seen in the intensity of the pursuit in which you go after it, then there has been no greater love in this planet than Jesus for you. So when I say, what are you pursuing? My prayer is that right now your heart is being beckoned to fix whatever it is in your life that's not pursuing God first. Because he is worthy of all of our pursuit. He's the only way we can have life. Otherwise, we're going to find that death that we deserve. But grace on grace on grace is available to us. Because you don't have to earn this love. <laughs> That's the crazy, scandalous part of it. Jesus says, here, it's yours. Free gift. All you got to do is love me. All you got to do is believe in me. All you got to do is trust me. Just like that little girl with a teddy bear. Maybe your sin in your life is that teddy bear. And all you got to do is say, okay. And receive that life back. Receive that gift back. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we get to seek God. We get to have relationship with him. Because he's our loving father. If I love my daughter Gwen, how much more does he love you? See, the truth and the reality of all this about how you trust him is that we can, we have the ability, we can seek God because he first sought us. We didn't earn, we didn't deserve for Jesus to come out of heaven, Jesus to come down to earth, become the sacrifice for us. We didn't deserve that. We can seek God because he first sought us, but we should seek God because he's still pursuing us, because he's still seeking us. Jesus is the manifestation of that. And Easter is the manifestation of that plan written before the foundation of the world. 
that God would restore and redeem his children through Jesus. All you got to do is believe in him. And so the thing you got to get to is this reality of you can trust God. You can trust him and you don't have to hold on to that little teddy bear. You can trust that your heavenly father knows what's best for you, has a plan for you because he created you. He can actually fulfill you and tell you who you are and give you your identity and you can trust him. And so you give up that little teddy bear and you take the gift that he has for you of the greater life that he offers. He offers the best possible life. That's John 10, 10. That's why Jesus came here to give life and life to the full. But the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy what God may want to give you. Do you want anything to steal and kill and destroy the best thing for you? No, none of us would want that to be destroyed. And yet that's what Satan does. And whenever you choose your passions and your desires and you play the totem pole game of anything over God, you're choosing to follow Satan. There is no, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my own path. Nope, your own path is his path. It's the enemy's path. Because anything but God's is the enemy's. So whatever it is you're pursuing, whatever it is you're seeking, it's either the enemy's or it's God's. And I would implore you, sitting up here, standing up here, in the same way that I would beg my children, and I will teach them, I will raise them, I will shepherd them, I will love them, I will rear them to understand the love of Jesus. Their daddy loves them with all, their, with all his heart. And yet their heavenly father loves them even more. And it's the same thing to you. I love you guys. I love getting to do this. I don't care if I know your name or not or if I've never met you. You're here. I love you. I get to do this. We get to go after this. And yet this is not about me and my love for you. It's about Jesus and his love for you. So seek him. Pursue him. Develop that relationship with him. You can trust God. He loves you. And Jesus is the manifestation of that love. So let me ask a question to you for you to think about. What do you need to stop seeking so that you can start seeking God? What do you need to stop seeking so that you can start seeking God? Is it a relationship? I said 13 years ago, something changed for me, and ever since then, I've been seeking God consistently in every season of my life. You know what happened? Got out of a relationship. A lot of times, that's exactly what you need. Because we put relationships in this season of life on such a pedestal that it becomes an idol. And we want a wife more than we want God. Or we want a husband more than we want God. It's an idol. So what do you need to stop seeking so that you can start seeking God? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a, uh, an inner thought, a self-awareness. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's someone else's thoughts of you. Maybe it's the entire idea of what other people think of you. All of us have stuff. All of us have stuff we can stop seeking. I personally have things that I need to stop seeking so that I can more fully seek God. What are they for you? All you have to do is just start seeking him. Like That's the beautiful thing about this, to kind of close out the night. You want to know the practical way about how you do this? You trust and you believe the promise of James 4.8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's a promise. And so you start to trust it. You start to believe it. And then practically, here's how you live it. You do it. 
<laughs> like there's nothing crazy. There's no one, two, three, four steps you need to have. The beautiful thing about seeking God is you just start seeking God. You start getting in his word. You start reading. You start praying. You start doing the things necessary to develop a relationship. If I wanted to have a relationship with you, but I never talked to you, would that be a relationship? No, that'd be another funny word that I could say that's not a relationship. You got to talk to him. You got to pursue him. You got to seek him. You got to find him in every season of life, in the trials and in the triumphs. Whether good or bad, finding the ability to say, It is well with my soul. That's what you get to do when you seek God. And my prayer for you is that tonight would become a catalyst for you in your life in the same way something happened to me in a service just like this 13 years ago, that tonight would be that for you, that you put aside all other things for the pursuit of God. Let me pray for y'all. Father, I thank you that, uh, that we can pursue you. I thank you that you allow us to do this, that you beckon us to do this, that you invite us to do this, and that you promise us You promise us that if we pursue you, you will pursue us because you're already pursuing us. So, God, I'm going to pray specifically for the person in this room right now who doesn't trust you, who questions you, who is not quite sure whether or not they can actually believe you and who you are, and they're hesitant to love you. God, I pray that overwhelmingly in the name of Jesus that you would allow your love to shower that person, to overwhelm that person, and you would break their heart if you have to, to allow them to see that you are all they need and that they can trust you. Father, I pray for every person in this room that, that whatever is going on in their world, whatever is going on in their life, and whatever it is that they're seeking, God, may tonight be a call to come back home. May tonight be a call to, to repent, Father, to turn around and come back home to you. May tonight become an opportunity for people to walk away from the sin that they're pursuing and start walking towards you. To realize I'm seeking this and it's an idol and instead, God, I need to follow you and I need to seek you instead. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to leave that thing behind. If I got to get out of a relationship, I'll get out of a relationship. Okay, God, whatever you ask, I'll be obedient because I'm not going to let my little teddy bear ruin the life that you would have for me if I would trust you. So, Father, may we trust you. May we love you. And, God, I pray that through our lives you would be glorified. So I thank you for everything that you're doing, everything you have done, and everything everything that you will do in our lives, Father. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.